There has been so much written and discussed around how to build the optimal simulation project team. So a team delivering a one-off simulation project, but very little written about how you build a specialist unit within your organization who use simulation again and again and who are dedicated to using simulation to help improve your organization's performance. So today, that's what we'd like to focus on. How do you build a team of simulation experts and how do you maximize performance of that team? To help me work through these themes, I'm joined by two of my esteemed colleagues today. They are Tom Stevenson and Corinne Freeman, who are both part of our simulation excellence team here at Simulate. Um, welcome to you both. So Tom, can you give us a quick introduction to your experience in the area? And then Corinne, I'll pass over to you. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been involved in simulation teams for a little over 10 years now, almost 11 years I've been working in the simulation excellence team. And in that time, I think I've worked on about 150 projects. And plus I've trained a lot of simulation teams as well. And that's been across a lot of different sectors, sometimes across different countries. So I think it's probably fair to say that I've came across simulation teams in all different shapes and sizes, a lot of simulation teams who maybe operate in completely different ways, but are still successful. So yeah, excited to talk more about that. Yeah, looking forward to hearing that. Thanks, Tom. And, and you, Corinne? So being part of customer success, I work hand in hand with the simulation excellence team at Simulate. And I think one of the best parts of being part of the simulation team at Simulate is, you know, every day is a school day. Every day is eventful and you're always learning on the job. And that's what I really love about being part of the simulation team within Simulate. But going to Tom's point as well, you know, I've probably been in the company now just as long as Tom has, you know, and we've worked with so many different organizations who are at the start of their simulation journey with building their simulation team to, you know, working with organizations who have teams that have been built for over 20 years, who have established from two to three kind of power users to substantially 20 users throughout the globe. Yeah, I'm really excited about today's conversation and hopefully giving some, some of our listeners some, some hints and tips. Okay, well, let's go on and let's share um, all these decades, if I dare say, of experience. And let's start at the beginning. Corinne, could you paint a picture for the people listening of what you think would make up an ideal simulation team? Who are they and how do they operate? Definitely. So I think how we like to kind of structure how we think of simulation teams within Simulate is we have simulation builders and we have our simulation users. And how we distinct them is that our simulation builders are the core team who build, they deploy, they analyze the results. And then the simulation users are the simulation builders' customers. You know, they're making use of, of the simulation itself. So in terms of what I think makes the ideal kind of simulation team or the simulation builders is having that core team who have obviously that core hard skill set of using a software, a simulation software, have that analytical skill set, have that data architect kind of skill set um, as well. But they also have that soft skill set, which is allowing them to work within an organization about understanding how processes work, how to communicate with other members of the organization to get the real information that they're needing to, to build their simulations. So with our simulation builders, you know, there's a kind of cross set, obviously the hard skill set and, and the soft skill set. But one of the things that we see time and time again with having simulation teams and the simulation builders is that all those people that are working within that team are very influential. They have a way of being able to communicate the value of the simulation to their, their simulation users, to their stakeholders. These people tend to come from 
they have maybe a subject matter expert background where they know their process inside out and they've moved into a kind of simulation field. And very much so in terms of their kind of leadership style of things, it's very much transformational. They see the value in simulation. They want to make an effort. They want to make change to their organisation. But at the same time, they want to support their team and they want to ensure that that knowledge transfer happens. So hopefully that gives an idea of my experience and working with teams and and what I would say is an ideal team. And I'm glad you mentioned things like communication skills and soft skills, because I know in my experience, those soft skills are not always appreciated, but they are just as important as the technical ones. And I'm curious to see what you think. And Tom, obviously, chip in as well. Do you think you can find people with both those skill sets, technical and soft skills? You definitely can find people who have those skills. I think a lot of the time you think of simulation building as, as that technical element. Can I get this piece of code to work but also I think you get a lot of people who can do that and you get a lot of people who can do the other elements of it I think if you can find somebody who can do everything perfectly you're doing a really good job of recruiting but it's certainly not impossible and I think that's the good thing about having a simulation team as well you can have those roles fulfilled by different people. Some people are going to naturally be stronger at the more technical side of things and they're going to enjoy that side of things more. Whereas other people might be slightly less strong at that, but they're really good at communicating the benefits of a simulation or presenting a simulation. So I think if you can't find both of those things in one person, but you can certainly supplement that with a team. And I would certainly recommend spending time honing those skills for people, I think it's certainly something that you can develop. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is it's not necessarily a unicorn to find it all one person. Great if you can, but if you don't, then you just make sure you've got complementary skills within the simulation team, so that makes sense. So, Tom, based on the simulation teams that you've run or witnessed in organisations that you work with, what do you think are the common reasons that that these organisations want a dedicated simulation team in the first place? Um, And if you had to say, I guess, three benefits of what they offer, what would those be? So let me start with why you might want a dedicated team. I think having that core focus is really powerful because it means you can get lots of practice and become really slick with the software quite quickly. Also, it means that you can collaborate as a team. And we have people who've got all these reusable components and things like that, that they've built up from delivering very similar projects in a similar organization. So I think having that dedicated team allows you to really share your learning and and get to a result quite quickly. Then there was three things. First of all, I think you can help each other. So if you've got a lot of people who can use the software, you can collaborate easily, you can learn together, you can have discussions and things like that. And it, it just means that your learning can be really quick and it can be fun as well to learn in that environment. I think it can force you as well to build systems around a team. And I do think having systems in place will really help for successful project delivery. And there's a lot of things that our team are able to do that would probably apply to any project. But because we dedicate ourselves to simulate, we can adjust any kind of project management elements or things that would make any project successful to be successful within simulate. A couple of examples might be 
we would typically always build a simulation initially really quickly and just put almost the bare bones, a kind of straw man together. And then the whole team would get together and sit around that straw man and think about how we're going to build it even further. What details are we going to use? Some people might say, oh, I've actually done that before. Uh, Here's the code that I used. We have that kind of standard practice in place. But there's a lot of other things that we do. We know when we might run workshops and things like that to make a project successful. Uh, you know, we, we try and involve people right at the very start and we can put structures in place around that. We'll do things that we kind of steal from a bit of a development agile perspective as well. So we can do a lot of things like paired programming. Uh, we'll all get around a whiteboard to problem solve a lot. Things like hackathons as well. I heard of a new term recently called swarming, which is like paired programming, but everybody in the team getting together to solve a problem and accelerate it. So I think having that kind of system can ensure success. But again, like it can make simulation building really fun and collaborative. Final one, I think classically, whenever you think of a, a simulation project, you might think of um, I've got a big capital expenditure. I need to build a really detailed project to answer that question. Uh, and that is still a really good use of Simulate. But what I find when you've got a successful team or a team dedicated to this is that it opens up much more opportunity to do those other really powerful types of simulations. So some teams I know will build lots and lots of smaller models to answer everyday questions. Some people will build simulations for training purposes and things like that as well. And a lot of time people can focus on even hooking their simulation up to different data and systems. And I think it just gives you almost more firepower to be able to do some of those things and unlock the full power of a simulation. Thank you. So what I'm hearing there is a lot of it's about being able to deliver your simulations quicker, which is obviously true to yeah. the simulate philosophy. And then obviously it's about trying to make the, the process engaging and, you know, there's learning and development, etc. there for the people in your team. Yes, absolutely. I think actually that's a good point about the development as well. I think people can naturally maybe expand their skill set or get promotion opportunities and things like that with a team because you need to have skills to maybe train others or help others or you might need to have quite senior leadership skills to make sure that a project meets all of its goals and things like that. So I think definitely having that team allows people to grow and expand, which is a nice, nice addition. Makes sense. And Corinne, I think you've already actually touched on this earlier, but for the simulation teams that you've seen customers build, um, I mean, you mentioned some things around soft skills, technical skills, but what kind of personalities and skills are you really looking for in your simulation team? And where's the best place to look for these people? So that's a really good question. I think I kind of answered that in, in kind of one of the previous questions and kind of homing in on that, the, the hard skill set of what Tom mentioned there in terms of having that technical ability and, and being able to understand data structures, but also, you know, that soft skill set um, at Simulate, we often call that the art of simulation because it is an art to try and master in terms of being able to communicate and work not just within your simulation team, but with other stakeholders within the organisation. And, you know, I work with organisations who have maybe just one simulation team that is to cover the entirety of the organisation. And then I work with other organisations who have specific simulation teams within that organisation, whether it for region or whether it for application. And what I find quite common within the people within those, within those teams in both sides, 
is that they are there are subject matter experts. They know their processes. They know they understand continuous improvement. What I'm what we're finding now as well is that there's continuous improvement, process improvement is at the forefront of most organization strategy. And you are finding that people who previously may be an industrial engineer or mechanical engineer are kind of moving into those divisions, which simulation um, is part of. So having that development of the technical skills of knowing the, like the, I'm talking from a manufacturing standpoint, from mechanical processing, and then moving that forward into continuous improvement, where you're actually having to articulate more the value and what you're trying to do and to show the value adds in terms of the simulation or, or the other methodologies that you're using. So I'm finding that a lot within organizations that people are moving from different divisions and then moving into continuous improvement or, or process improvement or operational excellence is, is another kind of key phrase that organizations are using now. And what is common as well is, as Tom said there, you, you have to have People who can drive that team, can show the value in the work that they're doing, can shout about the work that they're doing as well. And that's very common within the organisations that we work with, that they can take what's happening on the shop floor to the top floor and make sure that the executive team know exactly what value the simulation is doing to help them make the decisions in terms of capital expenditure projects, etc. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot. A lot of different skill sets that are, are involved in the, in the simulation team. And what I would also say, kind of moving forward over maybe the past six, six years or so, that there has been a little bit of a change rather than just being your industrial engineers or your process improvement engineers that are part of your simulation team. There's more people now with maybe an IT background that are coming into those teams, you know, um, in terms of data analytics, your digitization experts, your digital transformation, your industry 4.0 specialists. We're now all coming together to make that simulation team even bigger and specialised for that organisation who are investing in new technology to advance, obviously, their wealth of, of the company. Yeah, no, I can see that. And, you know, I'm really glad you made that point because, you know, I think, well, we know this internally at Simulate, and I'm sure our listeners will agree as well that, you know, what we've seen over the last decade is the adoption and use of simulation has evolved significantly in that time whether that's from a technology perspective or in the way that organizations approach process improvement initiatives, as you've mentioned there, you know, there's different elements that are coming into play. What do you see as having changed in teams in the last 10 years? I think it's in, in terms of the, in terms of organizations as, as a whole, you know, in terms of their structure, in terms of what they now see is important. So, you know, as I say, continuous improvement is now part of strategy now. These teams are now getting more investment more than ever to invest in new technologies, new methodologies, new training. It's no longer just Excel modeling, simulation modeling. You know, there's a whole technology stack that organizations are investing in these simulation teams to look into. When we talk about digital twins and machine learning, you know, all of that is coming under the predictive analytics side of things, which organizations are, are at the forefront now. You know, they wanted to know what happened yesterday. They want to know what happens today and they want to know what happens tomorrow. So, yeah, that's what I see as being the kind of big differences in say, the, the past kind of 10 years. And also just to add to that, one of the other things that is just kind of came to my mind is that 10 years ago, we were very much thinking or we when we were working with simulation teams. It was very much just that consolidated one simulation team that supported the entirety of the organization. But, you know, now we're seeing so many simulation teams dotted about an organization. So whether that be a simulation team 
speaking from an automotive side of things, do we have a simulation team who primarily concentrate on paint? Do we have a they have a simulation team who concentrates purely on powertrain or assembly or supply and logistics? We're seeing that more and more, which does make sense. You know, as an organization grows and gets bigger, particularly with the automotive OEMs that we work with, they have over a hundred plants globally. If you have one simulation team who's trying to support all those 100 plants, that's going to be a stressful job for that simulation team. And it's going to be quite hard to try and prioritise the project and the demand that's going to be needed for deliveries. You can see the logic in terms of having different simulation teams dotted about the organisation. And also it, it makes complete business sense in terms of having that knowledge transfer. So that you're not losing those key players within your simulation team. Yeah. You know, you have other people to pull upon. No, that makes sense. The thing I really take from this is that there's this wave of opportunity just now, isn't there, for people looking to invest in, in and grow simulation teams. There's so much being invested in that decision-making in organisations, and it's a great time for all of us in simulation. So, Yeah, thinking back over the last 10 years, actually, um, two things that have struck me is just how much more information companies have access to and also how much easier simulation has got. I think the amount of features and things like that that we can do without code or anything now have kind of meant that you're not as limited to those traditional people. I think I've seen a lot of doctors and nurses pick up simulate. I've seen police officers pick up simulate. I've seen people on the C-suite who've sat in on an hour's training and decided they want to go at the advanced module um, do it. I think all of that's kind of changed the landscape a bit as well, where you can complete simulations much faster. But also you can tap into so much more data as well. So it's kind of like those two elements come together quite nicely for more powerful simulations built more quickly in a way. And built by subject matter experts as well, which exactly, I guess comes yeah. back to thinking about who you want to have in your simulation team. It doesn't just actually help, I think, to inform the building of your simulation, but it also gives a lot of credibility to work if you've got subject matter experts like you know nurses or other healthcare professionals involved in building a healthcare simulation. I can see that. So, Tom, could you talk us through a checklist of the things that you see are needed to build a successful simulation team? To build a successful team, I think we've got to have all the skill sets in place or, or basically all the functions of a team in place. It's easy to think when you first start using simulation that you just need a couple of people to, to build the models. And while that's true, you're not going to be as successful as if you have roles like senior champions who can talk about the work and can share it easily. I think you want systems in place that allow you to share your work easily as well. So that could be just internal knowledge sharing sessions and things like that. It could be any sort of community engagements or a lot of people will present at conferences or write white papers, write case studies, all that type of thing to sort of shout about their work. Um, I think you want to make sure that you've got some systems in place that allow you to, I, I guess, that just force the team to successfully answer questions that are required from the simulation. It's really easy if you're just building a simulation to get kind of caught up in the detail. So I think you always want to have a team that's helping the model builder step back, look at the big picture, see what decisions to make. So I think fulfilling though that systems and people and looking at it more broadly than just model builders is the first step. And then there's just some practical things as well about building a team. You know, have we had sufficient training? 
have we got all the licensing that we need? Have we got some shared folders to be able to share simulations? Just anything that's going to make things a bit easier to kind of collaborate, be part of the checklist. Yeah, okay. And you talked about sharing simulations, and then you went on to talk about, I think you used the phrase shouting about your work. I think it's mm. fair to say they're two different things, aren't they? Sharing simulations and then shouting about your work. You used the examples of shout about your work about conferences or writing papers, et cetera, but then there's sharing simulations. How would you differentiate the two? There's common elements. In both cases, we are sharing a simulation. But when I think of sharing a simulation, I think more about having that file in decision makers hands to be able to run a simulation, to run different scenarios, to interpret results. So that's about kind of making sure we build a simulation that enables that and enables you to present results from a simulation. And so you should be thinking about that at the very yes. early stages of even scoping out the simulation. Yeah. Or how actually, you're going to design or build it. I think right at the very start is how you would want to do that. You'd want to establish a sort of team that's going to allow you to, to move forward in that way. You'd want all the stakeholders that allow you to develop the tool, but also share it to be involved. I think that helps if you do it right at the very start as well for everybody to kind of own the problem jointly rather than having this black box tool that's been built in the in the background come and then have a presentation i think if you can involve your stakeholders early on and share it with them it's gonna help feel like there's kind of joint ownership in in working towards the solution yeah no that makes sense you talked there about you know involving all your stakeholders early on and one of the things you'd said earlier was about making sure you've got senior champions now do you have any particular bits of advice about how you get a senior champion on board? Because I know myself, and my experience as a consultant, I suppose, you, you make assumptions. You think, well, this person's mm. going to be interested in ROI or they're going to be interested in graphics. And it never turns out to be the way you've assumed. It's not dependent on a role. It's actually dependent on the person and what, what they're personally interested in. Yeah, definitely. I've worked with senior champions who are so interested in the graphics and things like that they'll say oh, i just want to see the little people running around the screen <laughs> and then they and go that's it that's exactly my process <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's uh it depends who you're talking to some people can be really interested in the the nuts and bolts of the simulation i see a lot of senior leaders actually get really interested in how the simulation works and wanting to look under the hood but at the same time they need to make this ROI decision. So it definitely makes sense to speak to that champion at the start of the project to understand what, what they feel would make a, a simulation successful. But I think a lot of it is is about having that senior leader or champion involved right at the very start. I think even before you start your simulation project, you want them to be behind the idea because that's what's going to really help your team grow. If you can have that person sharing it and using a good platform, then it's going to create a real powerful case for using Simulate in the future. And I've seen where you have that good champion who really likes Simulate, is a really good advocate and is interested in simulation. That's where actually if, if you see that person kind of leave an organization, you actually feel like it, that's fine. They've built the team that can be self-sustaining now and you think in oh well, i wonder where they're, they're going next i'm sure they'll be doing simulation soon so i think actually that senior champion is probably potentially the most important person if you're going to get a successful team 
So we're now going to move on and have a look at actually how to grow these teams, because as we set out in the beginning, it's quite often the case that you, you know, you see one user, then because of the sex it's that we've get, we get more model builders, etc. And it grows from there. So, Tom, I mean, can you actually describe that typical journey of how a project evolves from, say, it's a single innovator in an organization and then it goes into a small group of people and then it steps up again to becoming a dedicated team? No, no two organizations are going to be exactly the same, but I think there's certainly some key steps in any journey that we should look to do. I think, first of all, the, when, when you're delivering that first project, it comes back to making sure there's, that work is shared, making sure people see it, making sure you can shout about it, but then being ready for what comes next. Uh, a lot of time that's going to fall quite naturally because when people see a simulation, they're going to be interested in how it could maybe grow or what the, the next plug-on can be to the simulation. But I think if there isn't that natural next step in that project, it's always worth trying not to have too much downtime between the first project and the second project, because after you've had that initial success, that's the real chance to build some momentum. So I think it's, it's worth when you're coming to the end of that first project, really thinking about where the next opportunities are for Simulate and what models you can build next that are going to allow you to continue to add value. Because I think once you get to that project too, that's when, first of all, the skills of the team start to really grow and you can take the learning that you've got from the, the first project and you can start to gain some real confidence. So that's a, the key thing is really, I think, successful teams will move from simulation one to simulation two. And I think if that's not immediately in place and you need to wait a couple of months, try and have some artificial not even artificial, but uh, a next project idea in mind to keep that momentum going. After you've done that, that's when I think it, it becomes about how do you grow the team from one or two to, to multi amount of people. What we often find it is when you're training a couple of key users, it, it can be really good at the start to train anybody else who might use it in the future as well. I think having that bank of understanding in the organization is going to be helpful but really it's about involving more people in that build as we go along so it could be that some teams have hired people to do that it could be that some people have pulled resources in from other teams who we know are going to have that kind of skill set and i think then there becomes a, another step in the journey as well which is how do you expand that team uh, from the skills that you've got if one or two people have learn to use the software, it might be a really good next step for them to become trainers in their internal organizations. What I find works really well for this is if an organization has kind of recognized tiers of simulatability. So you might have people who've done the intro training, some people who've done the advanced training, and some people who you consider to be your kind of real experts in the organization. And I think once you built your initial model and you may be at that intermediate level, it's about continuing to push to improve your skills so that you can then expand out within the organization and, and train more people and grow your career in that way. And I think as that expansion happens, then it creates more and more opportunity to keep organically growing. So we've got some users who will run conferences and things like that for their simulation users and just ways to connect and grow and, and develop and share ideas. Say that's probably some of some of the main steps that you see a lot of teams go through. Yeah, and you mentioned there that conferences. I suppose it's almost more like user groups, isn't it? Because user well, there's groups, two elements. Probably, yeah, I think yeah. you suppose what I'm hearing you say through this whole journey is there's two elements. There's the promotion of your work, 
but there's also embedding the core skills, isn't there? And yeah, you could be using conferences to promote the work, but you can also be doing it as a sort of user group to try and further people's simulation skills and knowledge. User groups probably are yeah. a better way to describe it, actually. It's not necessarily a conference, but yeah, that probably what I see in a lot of teams is that kind of user group setup. What we're, we've got to this point, and I suppose we're, we're, we're giving advice here about how to grow your team so that you can get to the point where simulation becomes more of an operational tool for daily decision making. But I guess it's the time just before this when you've got, you know, you're either a single adopter or a couple of people involved, that's the most challenging to get the traction that it needs to grow. And Corinne, what do you think of the pain points of making that leap from you've got a couple of users, you, you know, you're trying to get simulations listened to, et cetera, to the point where it's embedded and it's being used operationally for decision making? I think some of the pain points are obviously that if you have, if simulation is a new concept to the organization and you're on the start of your journey, it is going to be difficult to get that investment, that that is the challenge. But I think one of the things that we've seen from users who've started off their journey is they want to shout about the good things that they're doing within the organization and not necessarily kind of user groups, but they'll have what they call kind of showcase events where they showcase the efforts of their simulation models to not only drive investment from other parts of the business, but um, it drive interest from other parts of the business for people to work with them as well. But it, again, it all comes back down to the the core kind of parts of building your simulation team as being kind of pain points is you need to have those influential champions within your team to, to shout about the work that your simulation team um, is doing um, and also having the right kind of subject matter experts involved within that team. If you don't have the right people involved in that then there are major pain points in terms of growing your simulation team and I you know one that occurs to me there I'd be interested in both of your thoughts on this is if you're talking about that point where you've maybe just got a couple of people in the team but you've not got to the point where you've got this robust larger people you've shared lots of knowledge and skill sets is losing somebody from the team you know how can our listeners today kind of protect themselves against that risk I think it's always having, well, people will move jobs. You can't stop people from doing that. But I think it's having that clear structure in place for your simulation team. You know, you have investment and training, clear induction plans, clear uh, progression plans in terms of where that person can go in their career. And something that was shouted about throughout this, this discussion is that knowledge transfer and how important it is. Because we're mentioning people who are maybe moving career, but, you know, we work with simulation teams who have been around for decades, you know, and quite rightly so, these people are, are reaching retirement age. You don't want to lose that knowledge. And knowledge transfer is pivotal in, in terms of making sure that that team is successful because you essentially just want to get these people to do a brain dump. And I think it's having that right platform in place, right, having the right system in place and the right methodology to make sure that that information is extracted. Yeah, and almost as we've said, and I was one of your principles of the team at the beginning. I mean, I guess we see also now that the days of people staying in the same role company for decades are long gone. So it's just something that people need to prepare for to make their team robust. Tom, would you add anything to that? I don't think there's anything I would really add. No, it's it's all about just having that contingency in place and thinking about the best way to to do that. So yeah, I just completely agree with everything that, that's been said. And we, we've been through this pain, haven't we? Which is why we've got some <laughs> advice, not just seeing it with organisations. I mean, it, it's happened to us as well, so we know how it feels. So let's think about some of the high-performing teams that um, you guys have worked with. Tom, can you give us two characteristics of a high-performing simulation team? 
yeah, so high performing. I'm going to go more towards maybe sort of softer skills for this, actually. I think it is okay. It's always important to have though high technical ability is good. But I think actually what we spoke about earlier about the, the way that simulations becoming easier and easier and there's more and more information actually makes me think that uh, the teams I've worked with, the uh, high-performing attributes would be things like they're curious. So they might ask oh, a lot of questions. Okay. Yeah, so we talk about what-ifs in Simulate a lot. And they're probably people who ask what-if all the time because they know that a simulation allows you to answer those what-if questions. It'll be people who want to continually test these ideas and see how how they might work and want to involve a lot of people. So I think being naturally curious as a as a sort of team is really quite helpful. The other one I'm going to go for is probably having that influence to make things happen. I think with any simulation, we're looking to make a change, not just build a simulation. So I think it's having that drive and conviction to say, is what my simulation is showing. This is a business case for doing it. And then most importantly, making sure that that business case is seen through and the company can can change for the better. So yeah, curious and have influence. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Corinne, what would your two be? I would agree with Tom and he's already got one of mine in terms of curious, but I think one of the other points that I would make is that everyone within that high performing simulation team knows their deliverables and how that's attached to the organization's goals. And I really think from the simulation teams that we are working with, that the high performance ones, those people are so empowered that the value of the work that they are doing is being taken forward within the organization and decisions are being made based on the simulation models that they are building. Because, you know, we've had these conversations with simulation builders that like, I put my hands up, I build the simulation model, but I don't make the decisions. But there's some empowerment there to say that a strategic decision has been made from the simulation model that they have built. You know, that's interesting. I mean, I think you've picked on something that's probably a common problem, whether or not it's a simulation team or not, or it's a great attribute to have, isn't it? To have people that understand the company goals and feel empowered to do it. It doesn't mean that we get it right because, you know, just because it's spread across themes. So I'm interested in both of you, but you both picked what I would call more sort of soft characteristics. And I don't disagree with them at all, but I understand why you haven't brought maybe traditional technical skills. But what about the need for at least one person, if not more of them in the team, to keep up with technology advances, by which I mean such as coding in Python, wanting to benefit from machine learning? Because there are huge opportunities just now evolving in that area. There are great opportunities for people who want to do simulation. So how important are they to high performing teams? For me, it's, it's as important as ever. As you say, there's so many opportunities there. I think you've got so much power by being able to link into data and information quickly with a simulation, but also being able to have flexibility in the way you put outputs. I think you find those skills more. I think they're readily available in a lot of people. And I think it just allows you to take the your simulations to the to the next level. Often we actually find people will maybe have those skills in other software, then they think, ah, well, actually, you know, simulation would complement these areas. So I just think there's never been better time for being able to to make simulations powerful in that way. So I definitely would recommend having at least one person who has that skill set. It links to your curiosity, doesn't it? Because curious, it's about being curious in a particular area. It's a bit curious about these these advances and how your simulation team can benefit from them, how they can use Mm. them.
we have actually come to the end of our time together. It's gone really, really fast. It's been a fantastic discussion. So to sum up from both of you, I'll start with you, Tom, and then over to Corinne. Could you please leave us with your one or two key takeaways for what it takes to create a high-performing simulation team for our, our users? I probably would say that having those enablers in place is going to be uh, really important. And that's the things I spoke about, about having the influence there, having the, the softer skills in the team, having systems, folders, things, shared ways of working in place. I think a gifted model builder alone is going to struggle a lot more. And then I think the next one I would say is all about being able to expand beyond that one or two users. And I think developing those skills of like internal trainers, internal coaches, be a really good thing to, to have in place and to think about immediately as you're building your first model. Not only is it going to help you build a team, but it's also going to be a good kind of career progression opportunity for people as well. Okay, thank you, Tom and Corinne. You're too. It's been a good conversation. And I think the two key takeaways I'd like our listeners to, to take from is it's a journey. Everybody has to start somewhere, but stay with the journey and shout about the wins. That's the most important thing that I find from working with, with our clients is shout about the wins and shout about it within your business case to, to grow your team. And secondly is invest in the people, invest in the right people within your team. Again, going back to the, the hard skill set and the, the soft skill set. Soft skills, I'd probably say soft skill set is probably more important in the hard skill set side of things with a simulation team. So do invest in that uh, side of your simulation team. I love your point there, but enjoy the journey. It reminds me of one of the things Tom said in the beginning about this being fun as well. This should be fun and it can be fun. So yeah, enjoy, enjoy the journey. That's a very nice um, point for us to finish up on. Thanks for that, Corinne. So thank you for your time today, Corinne and Tom, and for sharing all this incredible insight with us. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. If you have any thoughts, ideas, or are facing challenges in building your simulation team, please reach out. Uh, you know, we've obviously got a lot of experience at Simulate. We could possibly even put you in touch with other people who are building their teams as well. We love to chat simulation. We know our users do as well. So get in touch. And for now, happy simulating. Thanks, everyone. Thanks again, Tom and Corinne. Bye. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.